0: Hello, and welcome to Horror Story Podcast. She's back and by she I mean me Trish your host took a little time to finish my degree live my life and now I'm finally able to get back to my passion project this podcast. Thank you to everyone who's still listening and still following over on the podcast Instagram I also started up a YouTube channel for the pod, and if you could do the whole like and subscribe thingy, I'd really appreciate it. I'll leave links to both the Instagram and the YouTube pages in the show notes below for you to click away and become part of the Spooky Fam if you haven't already. Okay, on to the episode. I've got a fun one today. So often, I'll make a list of topics I want to cover on the podcast, I'll pick maybe two or three from the list and start researching a little, and then all of a sudden, a completely different topic from the list jumps out at me, and I have such a blast learning about it that it totally takes over. And that's today's topic, the origins of pumpkin carving. I'm diving into the history behind what's undeniably the most recognized symbol of spooky season, the jack-o'-lantern. And it all starts with a man so slimy he double-crossed the devil, Stingy Jack. The legend of Stingy Jack can be traced back to Ireland. With many stories reporting various dates, it's safe to assume the tale originated sometime around the 18th century. Now, there are a bunch of stories about Stingy Jack, and they're all just a wee bit different. So as per usual, I'm going to give you the best amalgamation I can that stays true to what's most commonly shared. So as the legend goes, Jack was the town drunkard. He was also quite deceitful and loved to play tricks on other villagers. But one fateful day, Jack took his tricks too far. Whilst drinking the day away at a local pub, Jack sees the devil stroll in. The devil sets his sights on Jack and decides he's going to take his soul. Jack asks the devil for one small favor before relinquishing his soul. Just one more drink. And the devil obliges. He turns himself into a coin that Jack can use to pay for another drink. But Stingy Jack takes the coin and shoves it into his pocket right next to a small crucifix he had. The cross throughout this tale not only stops the devil from shifting back from the coin into his own form, but also acts like a barrier. In so many words, the crucifix is a line the devil can't cross. So Jack essentially traps the devil and from his pocket, the devil begs and pleads with Jack in what I can only assume is the teensiest high-pitched Luciferian voice, because it's definitely relative to his size, right? Has to be. At least that's how it plays out in my head. Anyway, the devil is begging and pleading for Jack to release him and Jack says, sure old sport, but you can't have my soul just yet and you're to leave me alone for a few more years. So totally checkmated, the devil agrees. And I don't know why I just turned Jack into like Jay Gatsby with the old sport, but I can assure you the transatlantic vernacular sounds better than any Irish accent I could muster up. Years pass, and our favorite alcoholic is taking himself a wholesome stroll through nature. As he crosses an apple tree, he comes upon none other than his old pal the devil. The devil says, all right, Jackie boy, time to pay up. Jack, clever as ever, says, sure, but perhaps I can have an apple from the tree as my last meal before you take my soul. Oh, and could you climb the tree and pick it for me? The devil grants his request, but while up in the tree, Jack quickly carves a cross into the bark, trapping the devil yet again. Which, like, why does the devil have the IQ of a thermos? Like, aren't you supposed to be the master and commander of an entire friggin' underworld? You control demons, you coerce humans, you enslave souls. How in the world is Stingy Jack, who is nary a day sober, the final boss of humans for Beelzebub? I don't know. Anyway, the devil is now stuck in a tree, pleading with Jack to release him. Jack tells the devil, I'll let you go. But you can't have my soul, and you have to promise to leave me alone forever. And with no other options, the devil agrees. Later on, when Jack finally kicks the bucket, God denies his entry to heaven because of his dealings with the devil. And while the devil kept his word and let Jack hold on to his soul, he was rightfully bitter as fuck that Jack made a fool of him not once, but twice, and denied him entrance into hell. So Jack was now doomed to wander the earth forever as a spirit. But the devil, who has no brain cells but apparently a conscience, takes pity on Jack. He decides to give him an ember of hellfire that Jack places into a carved-out turnip to use as a lantern to guide him along his eternal ghostly hot girl walk each night. He then became known as Jack of the Lantern, which was later shortened to, you guessed it, Jack-o'-lantern. So it is worth noting that during this time, Jack was also a name for a man whose name you didn't know, sort of how we in the States use John Doe. So it was not uncommon for someone like a night watchman to also be referred to as Jack of the Lantern. It was said that soon after Jack's sentence to apparitionhood, townsfolk also started carving their own spooky vegetable lanterns and displaying them in hopes of scaring off Jack's evil spirit as well as any other unsavory spectral characters that may be lurking in the shadows. People often reported seeing Jack's ghoulish light traveling in the distance, but was it? You see, the story of Jack of the Lantern helped to illuminate, see what I did there, the phenomenon later known as Ignis Fatus, otherwise known as Will-o'-the-Wisp. Essentially, it's a chemical reaction in marshy, boggy environments where rotting organic matter combusts and emits gases that project a sort of phosphorescent light that hovers over the swampy ground and is naturally best visible at night. So you could imagine during this period how magical, otherworldly, and eerie that could appear to villagers. To reinforce the fear of Ignis Fatus' or what I have seen colorfully and wonderfully described as flaming bog farts, is that they were actually responsible for death. People would see these lights dancing, floating, flickering around the swamps, and follow them. Often, it would lead them into a sinkhole or a bog, and they'd drown. Many thought that this phenomenon was Jack, or another malicious spirit. So veggie lanterns not only serve to ward off spirits, but help guide people away from the flaming bog farts of death as well. And while the story of Jack gave spooky root vegetable lanterns a whole new life, it's not the first occurrence of carving produce to depict human faces. In fact, this custom is thought to predate Jackie Boy by thousands of years, potentially being derived from pre-Christian Celtic culture of head veneration. to the Celts, the human head was prized above all else. It symbolized the soul, emotions, and the representation of life itself. It represented not only mortal powers, but otherworldly ones as well. Which it's safe to assume why that veneration then manifested itself into the custom of collecting and displaying the heads of your enemies as the ultimate trophy of battle. The Celts truly loved a good head. They were sometimes embalmed in cedar oil and displayed, strewn about the neck of a horse for all to see, and, much worse, used for what was so delightfully referred to as brain balls. Brain balls were apparently the brains of enemies that were hardened with lime and used as slingshot projectiles. So, yeah. There's that. But how did this tradition of face-shaped veggie lanterns become associated with Halloween? We see, during the Celtic festival of Samhain, originally celebrated from October 31st to November 1st, to welcome in the harvest and usher in the dark half of the year, the barrier between the spirit and earthly realms was thought to thin enough for spirits of the dead to mingle with and walk amongst the living. To ward off these restless souls, people donned costumes and carved frightening faces into root vegetables such as turnips, beets, and potatoes, which were all usually plentiful at this time since they would have just been harvested. Around the 9th century, the Roman Catholic Church saw the Celts enjoying their pagan festivities and said, hey, what's that holiday you're celebrating? Okay, yeah, well, we're going to have to make that Catholic real quick. And so they did. November 1st became All Saints or All Hallows Day, and October 31st became All Hallows Eve and eventually Halloween, where most pagan traditions remained in practice despite the Catholic Church's best efforts. In the 19th and 20th centuries, when Irish immigrants made their way over to America, they brought with them the traditions of Halloween and lantern carving. But when they arrived in America, they found a new vegetable, technically a fruit, that was native to America and much better suited for carving spooky faces, the pumpkin. And thank God the pumpkin became integrated into this tradition because when you take a look at the OG turnip lanterns that were used, they were ugly. Indeed, the 19th century was quite the time for the pumpkin. The ghoulish gourd started making its way into print. In 1820, Washington Irving's The Legend of Sleepy Hollows cemented the pumpkin's status as a cultural icon. In the story, the Headless Horseman launches a pumpkin at Ichabod Crane, who was a total jerk anyway, so don't feel bad for him. But that fateful chuck of a pumpkin left both it and Irving's story to be associated with spooky season in perpetuity. A few years later, author Nathaniel Hawthorne penned two short stories that featured pumpkins, The Great Carbuncle in 1835 and Feathertop in 1852, which tells a tale of a scarecrow that has a carved pumpkin for a head. The first published image of a jack-o'-lantern is likely one that appeared in an 1867 issue of Harper's Weekly. As time passed, the jack-o'-lantern became more and more prominent in pop and horror culture. And while the tradition of pumpkin carving is stronger than ever, it's no longer just to ward off evil spirits or give your porch a fun and festive spooky vibe. It's become competitive. Fans can get their fix with competition shows such as Outrageous Pumpkins, Pumpkin Wars, and Halloween Wars. And for those who'd rather not sit on the sidelines, there are competitions not just for carving, but for farming with state fairs offering prizes for who can grow the largest pumpkin. Currently the world record for biggest pumpkin grown and heaviest jack-o'-lantern ever carved, is held by Travis Geinger, who grew the pumpkin and hails from Anoka, Minnesota, AKA the self-proclaimed Halloween capital of the world and pro pumpkin carver, Mike Rudolph. The pumpkin weighed in at a mind-blowing 2,560 pounds. This beat the previous record of 2,350 pounds held by Geinger the year prior. Other fun jack-o'-lantern festivities include the Great Pumpkin Blaze in Croton-on-Hudson, New York, which is a lot of fun and I highly recommend. And while you're there, make sure you visit the nearby Sleepy Hollow Cemetery. They actually offer nighttime guided lantern tours of the cemetery. And don't forget to visit the Headless Horseman Bridge. But keep your eyes peeled for flying pumpkins. Okay, that wraps up this episode. Thanks so much for joining me. I'll see you next time. Stay spooky, friends.